Bye. Story one, payback time. I dragged myself toward the tree with my hands, gritting my teeth as I did. There was a reddening bulge under my pants just below the knee, but I tried not to look at it. I knew it was a compound fracture, the bone of my lower leg sticking out of my skin. I felt sick as I leaned back against the tree, covered in a chill sweat. I brought out my phone and unlocked it. I had no signal. Of course, there was no signal on this side of the island. Something sounded off in the jungle, and I looked up toward the nearby clearing. A Majungasaur stood there, about 15 yards in front of me, staring at me with its reptilian eyes, looking a bit like a seven-foot-tall T-Rex with a horn. It looked hungry, its teeth bloody from a recent feeding. But it was a big dinosaur, and I was about the right size for a meal. I reached up and fingered my necklace, breathing a sigh of relief that it was still there. It would protect me. But then a terrible thought occurred to me, just as the dinosaur came forward on its two thick legs. I sat in the back of the open-top Jeep as it rocked, rolling along the dirt road. The sky was brilliant blue, with a few fluffy, unthreatening clouds floating slowly past. I could see the edge of the jungle through the dusty windshield. The road disappeared into a tunnel of trees up ahead, about a half mile distant. Next to me in the back seat was Sears DeRoy, my boss's right-hand man. The front passenger seat held our two backpacks while the park employee drove. In the Jeep behind us, my boss, Michael Leslie, rode with another man from our financial services company. His name was Steve James, and he worked in HR. I didn't know him very well, but I'd been working for Michael Leslie for years. And in that time, I'd gotten to know Sears DeRoy fairly well. This was not the first time I'd been on a dinosaur hunting expedition with DeRoy and Leslie. It was the first time with James though. And as we approached the jungle, I turned in my seat to look back at the other Jeep. My boss saw me looking back and put a friendly hand up in the air. I returned the gesture happily. Steve James was looking around with a huge smile on his face. He was clearly happy to be a part of the elite crew that went hunting inside the special and expensive area of the park. Ever since the park opened, Leslie had been having our yearly team building retreats here. But for a few days during the week-long retreat, Leslie always selected a few of his favorite employees to experience the thrill of hunting dinosaurs with high-powered rifles. Meanwhile, the rest of the company stayed in the park resort, checking out the rides, watching the T-Rex feeding from behind a massive electrified safety fence, or just enjoying the tropical weather on the beach. Don't get me wrong, that stuff was fun the first few times, but being allowed to actually hunt some of these amazing creatures was something else altogether. I'd never been a big fan of hunting before, but I always looked forward to coming on the retreat. Some years, Leslie picked four or five people to come along, but this year it was only the four of us, and DeRoy didn't really count, because he went everywhere with Leslie anyway. He was a large man with a shaved head and cauliflower ears with a wrestling career in college. And although his official title was executive assistant, we all knew that he was really a glorified bodyguard and confidant. We drove into the shady jungle and the temperature dropped several degrees. 
although it was still humid and sticky. As we drove deeper into the jungle, I watched for dinosaurs in the foliage. I saw some bushes shake as something about the size of a big dog turned away from us and moved quickly away from the road. I wondered what kind it was, but could only guess, as I didn't get a good glimpse of it. The Jeep pulled off the road and into a small clearing next to a 20-foot waterfall. The other Jeep pulled up next to it, and we all got out and started gathering our gear. Steve James pulled on his backpack and started fastening the straps, but I stepped over to him and tapped him on the shoulder. You're going to want to keep that off for a minute, I told him. They have to do the quick safety rundown. Might as well keep the heavy pack off your back while we're standing here. Right, James said, smiling like a kid on his birthday. Thanks. I didn't know much about him, but he seemed nice enough. He had a boyish face, even though he had to be in his mid-thirties. His blonde hair with the side part only added to his childish appearance. The two Jeep drivers in park uniforms and hats caught our attention. They stood with their backs to the waterfall about 50 yards behind them, at least giving us a great view of the beautiful landscape while they did their spiel. You've all been given a necklace just like this one, one of the drivers said, lifting his own thick metal necklace out from his shirt collar. And you all know the importance of them. But let me go over this again, because I'm legally obligated to. He smiled, and we all chuckled at that. These necklaces are what keep you safe on your hunt. We only stock certain dinosaurs out here in the hunting area. Sorry, fellas, but you won't be finding T-Rexes or Velociraptors out here. But that's not to say the dinosaurs you'll be hunting aren't dangerous. They are. But as long as you have your necklace on, you'll be safe. Why don't you tell them why, Chuck? The other driver, whose name was apparently Chuck, took up the script. See this thick part of the necklace? He asked, holding his own out. It has a proximity transmitter inside of it and a backup proximity transmitter. They each have their own power source and are rated to last for 500 hours, okay? So if something happens to one of them, the other one will still work. All the dinosaurs in the hunting area have chips embedded in them that will give them a rather nasty surprise if they get too close to one of these necklaces. It's not lethal, but it's enough to make them turn around and head the other way in a hurry. We have never, I repeat, never had a dinosaur resist one of these proximity necklaces. And we've tested them on all kinds of dinosaurs, even ones you won't encounter out here. They are designed to work in a 10-foot radius, and they're strike-proof, waterproof, sweat-proof, and any other kind of proof you can think of. And they're locked on until you come out of this section of the park, at which point we'll take them off with a special device. Do you understand? We all said we did. Good, the first driver said. They all double as GPS devices, so we'll be able to see where you are at any given time. You also have all been given radios. If anything happens or you just want to continue the hunt, contact us by radio and we'll come get you. If it's an emergency, we'll send a helicopter. With all that in mind, you're on your own for the next two days. We'll see you back at this spot at noon on Sunday. Do you have any questions? We're free to shoot any dinosaur we see out here, right? Steve James said. That's right, Chuck said. If it's here, it's fair game. 
Any other questions? There were none. The drivers wished us good luck, made sure we had all our gear, and then drove back down the road. Leslie swung his pack on and hefted his hunting rifle. Are you ready, gentlemen? He asked. Let's go. We started along the trail skirting the waterfall. The plan was to stop at some blinds along the way and see if we could shoot anything before we got to our campsite, which was about four miles down the trail. We had no luck on our way to the campsite, but our spirits were still high. By the time we got to the area where we were going to camp, it was only early afternoon. So we set up our tents and split up into pairs to roam the surrounding area, seeing if we could bag our first kills. My boss requested to go with me and I agreed happily. It's always good to spend a little one-on-one time with the man who signs your paychecks. So we headed one way from the campsite and DeRoy and James headed the other. We walked in silence for a little while, cradling our rifles. The sounds of birds and insects in the surrounding jungle made up our soundtrack. Soon enough, we came upon the blind, which was a sturdy wooden platform in a tree overlooking a clearing in the jungle. We climbed up and sat at the edge of the platform, one single thin crossbeam to keep us from falling the 20 feet or so to the jungle floor. Leslie and I sat in the blind for an hour before we saw a small group of dinosaurs come into view. I immediately recognized them as they were the most common type in the hunting area. Coelophysis bowery. I called them CBs for short, since their name is a mouthful. They looked like miniature raptors to the untrained eye, but there were some marked differences. They were more sleekly built than velociraptors with more bird-like bodies and narrower heads. They moved with effortless grace into the area, looking for lizards or other little animals to eat. Each of them was about the height of a large dog, although longer because of the counterbalancing tails they had. They used the tails almost like rudders when they got running really fast, which I'd seen them use before to attack a cow. There were probably 30 of them, and they swooped in on that cow and tore it apart before the thing could so much as move. They reminded me of piranhas swooping in the way they did. But as Leslie and I sat in the blind, there were only a few poking around in the field below. I told Michael he should take the shot, but he insisted that I get mine while I could. I put my rifle to my shoulder, switched the safety off, and sighted down on one of the CBs through the scope. I took two deep breaths and took my shot. I knew as soon as I'd pulled the trigger that it was a good shot. The others scattered, but the one I'd shot at went down, a red flower in its chest just below the neck. Good one, Leslie said to me, slapping me on the back. I smiled. It felt good to get one on the first day. Well, Leslie said, I doubt any dinos will come this way after all that noise, but let's sit up here a minute anyway. What do you think? Fine with me, I said, looking off beyond the field at the rolling jungle and green covered mountains that jutted into the sky. We were still sitting in the blind an hour later, our legs hanging off the platform, when I noticed movement in the field. I sucked in a shocked breath as I saw what it was. <gasps> Leslie went very quiet and still beside me. It was a Majungasaurus crenatissimus. It was a beautifully savage specimen. It was bipedal, just like the CBs, 
but this one was in a whole other league. I'd seen one in all my years hunting at the park with Leslie. It was about as tall as a man, making it the biggest dinosaur in the hunting area. Its bulbous head was covered in little spikes around a prominent horn above its eyes. Its snout was stubby, and I knew from my research that it would kill its prey by biting down and holding on until it died, like a jungle cat. It had two little arms, much smaller in proportion than those of a T-Rex, that I had to look through my scope to see. The Majungosaurus walked on two thick, tri-toed legs to the CB I'd shot. It pushed the dead dinosaur with its nose and then looked around to see if it had any competition. Then it tentatively bit at the meat. That's the only dinosaur with cannibalistic tendencies, Leslie whispered beside me. I looked over at him with raised eyebrows, even though I already knew this bit of trivia. It will eat its own kind, given the chance, Leslie continued, shaking his head. It's that kind of thing that really makes you sad, you know? I nodded, obliging him. I knew he was gearing up for one of his little speeches. It was my duty as his employee to listen and nod and be in awe of his wisdom. But instead of continuing his thought, he seemed to change gears. So, he said, how's everything going, Martin? I looked at him for a second, a little surprised to hear him use my first name. He usually called people by their last names. Uh, good, I said. How about you? Fine, he said. I just want to ask you a question. One question. I found that I was sweating even more than the tropical heat warranted. Sure, I said. Of course. Why did you feel you couldn't come to me? I tensed, bringing my rifle barrel up toward him. But he already had his pointing near me. He just lifted it up, the big boar staring at my chest, and shook his head. You didn't reload after your shot, he said. Now put the rifle aside and answer my question. Why didn't you come to me if you needed money? I put the rifle aside with shaking hands, pushing it behind me along the wood platform. I, I, I don't know what you're... I think it's because you didn't need the money, he said, cutting me off. I pay you well enough, but you saw an opportunity to skim even more from me, didn't you? And it was too much of a temptation for your tiny little brain to resist, wasn't it? You did it because you could, not because you actually needed the money, isn't that right? I opened my mouth to speak, thinking about where I'd gone wrong. I'd been so careful, little bits taken over a long period. I didn't think anyone would ever find out. Of course I didn't. Would criminals commit crimes if they thought they'd be caught? You can't find the words, Leslie said. That's okay, I already know the answers. Leslie brought his legs up from the edge of the platform and got them under him. Still pointing his rifle at me with his right hand, he stood up and told me not to move. I looked off into the field at the Majungasaurus eating the dead CB. Suddenly, the sight of it made me sick, even though I couldn't see the gory details. Leslie waved something in front of my face, a square device of some kind, just a quick movement there and then gone. I turned my head up to look at him. What? Don't talk, he said. Better if you just stay silent. Now turn back. 
Look at that magnificent dinosaur over there. He reached down and took the radio off my belt. I bet you thought DeRoy would be the one doing my dirty work, right? Leslie said from behind me. But some things you've just got to do yourself. I went to turn around again, but he told me to stop. Go on, he said. Look at the dinosaur. Focus on it. I looked. Leslie stepped behind me and kicked me in the back. The wood cross beam broke easily and suddenly I was falling. I managed to keep my legs under me, but as I hit the ground, my right leg snapped under the weight of my body. I tried to scream, but the wind had been knocked out of me as I crumpled to the jungle floor. Once I managed to suck in a breath and then another and another, I tried to move. I sat up and bent my right knee, but the tremendous pain was otherworldly. This time I did scream out. I looked up at the blind, but couldn't see Leslie any longer. Then I heard movement on the other side of the tree, where the ladder was, and I called out to him. Please, Michael, I'll give you the money back, every penny. Just please, help me. It hurts so bad. There was no answer, except for the sound of footsteps growing fainter as they moved away from me. I dragged myself toward the tree with my hands, gritting my teeth as I did. There was a reddening bulge under my pants, just below the knee, but I tried not to look at it. I knew it was a compound fracture, the bone of my lower leg sticking out of my skin. I felt sick as I leaned back against the tree, covered in a chill sweat. I brought out my phone and unlocked it. I had no signal. Something sounded off in the jungle, and I looked up toward the clearing. The Majungasaurus stood there, about 15 yards in front of me looking at me with its reptilian eyes. I reached up and fingered my necklace, breathing a sigh of relief that it was still there. But then I remembered that little object that Leslie had passed in front of me just before he kicked me off the blind. Could it have been? The dinosaur took two steps closer. He was curious. No, I said, no, get away. It moved quickly, three more steps bringing it to me. It looked huge above me its teeth visible in its barely open mouth. They were covered in blood from the CB. No! I screamed, putting my hands up as the dinosaur opened its stubby jaws to bite me. The feeling of the teeth piercing my skin and shattering the bones in both my forearms sent me over the edge of sanity. Everything became a blur of pain and I fainted. When I regained consciousness, the Majungasaurus was gone. My hands were deformed and both my arms were broken just behind the wrists. The only things holding my hands to my arms were little bits of skin and muscle. The dinosaur's bite had otherwise shredded the limbs. Thank you, I said, thank you. Only when I'd spoken the words did I realize that there was another dinosaur in front of me, a little CB walking slowly toward me. No, it wasn't just one. I looked around with tear-filled eyes to see that there were many of them, a dozen or more. They'd saved me. Thank you, I said again. The one closest to me darted forward and grabbed a finger on my left hand in its mouth. I screamed, and the dog-sized dinosaur dropped it. I looked down at the finger to see that it had nearly cut all the way through it. I looked back up at the spooked dinosaur and could see the serrated edges of its teeth. Now more than 20 pairs of eyes were looking at me from all sides. The CB stood tense, ready to pounce. No, I said, 
please, no. The one who'd snagged my finger moved forward, and the rest of them moved in at once. They crowded in, their sharp teeth tearing my skin and muscle off, little bits at a time, while I screamed, and screamed, and screamed. Story two, nowhere safe. Booming footsteps shook the ground like miniature earthquakes, growing more powerful as they approached. People were screaming and running all around me. The park was in chaos, but I couldn't help everyone. And the people I was trying to help weren't listening. Get out of the tunnel! I shouted for the fifth time. A couple of people nearby looked at me, the terror on their faces momentarily fading as they recognized my uniform. They seemed to realize that I knew what I was talking about, and they moved out of the tunnel quickly, taking their chances in the flow of running bodies down the avenue behind me. Move! Get out of the tunnel! You have to get out! I shouted again. Four more people heeded my advice, running out from the shade and into the bright sunlight. But there were still a good hundred people inside the concrete tunnel, underneath a road that only employee vehicles used. I stepped back from the tunnel entrance and looked up to see the massive dread Nautis lumbering forward on its four legs, its head twisting around at the end of its long neck to look behind it. A pack of Maposaurus dinosaurs were chasing the large sauropod, clearly intent on taking the much larger creature down for lunch. The tunnel would never hold the massive dinosaur's weight, and it was getting closer. I had no idea how the security protocols and fail-safes had all failed, but there wasn't anything I could do about it anyway. I was a tour guide, and things like security protocols were above my pay grade. But as a park employee and a human being, I had an obligation to try to save as many of these people as I could. But they couldn't hear me, or they wouldn't. I screamed at the people hiding in the tunnel one more time and was happy to see that a group of about 10 heeded my call and ran out. I backed away, nearly getting knocked down by a man running past behind me. Then I stood there and watched as the skyscraper tall, 60-ton dreadnoughtus brought its elephant-like front legs down just above the tunnel, which collapsed under the weight of the massive creature, instantly killing those who had not escaped. The pack of five Maposaurus carnivores caught up to the huge herbivore as it tried to get its front legs out of the wreckage of the tunnel. The Maposauruses were similar to Tyrannosaurus rex dinosaurs, but significantly bigger, and some would say smarter, since they hunted in packs. Four of them began attacking the huge sauropod, taking car-sized chunks out of its neck and back with their powerful jaws. The fifth turned its attention off the raised and fenced-in roadway, looking down at the terrified people running around. I stared up at it as the dinosaur's eyes swept over me, its cold intelligence startling me out of my shock. I turned to run in the general direction of the underground bunkers that had been built, just in case any of the dinosaurs got loose in the park. These bunkers were a good mile away from where I was, on the other side of the large park. I heard a crunching sound and looked over my shoulder to see that the fifth Maposaurus had stepped down off the raised roadway, crushing a cotton candy cart with one foot. Andy! A voice called out. I whipped my head around and saw one of my coworkers, Robert, sitting on a wooden bench and holding his bloody left ankle. Bob? I said, helping him up from the bench. What happened? What do you think? He said, leaning on me so I could help him walk. I got attacked by a Utah Raptor. I had to resist the urge to stop right there in the middle of the walkway. Good God, those are loose too? 
Everything's loose, he said, or will be soon. I looked behind me and saw the Maposaurus chasing a woman down the path toward us. We need to move. Bob and I picked up the pace, but his injured ankle was slowing us down. Up ahead was the door to a burger restaurant. I figured we could make it in there and wait until the Maposaurus went past. The woman behind us screamed as she ran, and the dinosaur's feet made the ground shake as it ran after her. In here, I said, ducking away from Bob to open the door to the restaurant. The dinosaur was close, but I didn't dare look. I pulled the door open and stood aside to let Bob in, but it was too late. The Maposaurus lunged toward us. Bob tried to jump through the door, but the massive teeth caught hold of his arm. I reached out and grabbed Bob's other arm and found myself in a tug of war with a huge carnivorous dinosaur. My feet came off the ground as I held onto Bob's arm. He was screaming, looking down at me. Then the Maposaurus let go and we both fell to the ground. The impact knocked my breath out, but I scrambled up, knowing it wasn't done with us. That was when I saw that the dinosaur hadn't dropped us. It had bitten through Bob's arm. His stump poured blood onto the concrete walkway. I sensed movement behind me and dove out of the way as the creature's huge jaws came down, crunching into Bob's body as it lifted him back into the air to finish the job. Screw seeking shelter in the burger joint. I needed to get to the bunkers. They were the only true safe place in the park now. So I ran as fast as I could get away as the Maposaurus chomped on my coworker. There were still people running in every direction, many of them looking for their loved ones. Still others were just trying to find the way out of the maze-like park. Even when there weren't bloodthirsty dinosaurs killing people, park guests had to consult a map to find the nearest bathroom, much less the main entrance and exit. Once the Maposaurus was out of sight behind me, I started gathering people to me, telling the ones that would listen that I was headed to the bunkers. By the time I'd gone a little over a quarter of a mile, I'd gathered seven people with me, four adults and three children. The main thoroughfare we were on was lined on either side with amusement park rides between gift shops, restaurants, arcades, and vendors of all types. All the rides were dinosaur themed, and some of them were even designed to go through certain of the more safe dinosaur habitats. But for the most part, these rides and shops were where people came after visiting the other side of the park, where the main dinosaur attractions were. So as we moved through the chaos, I prayed that the dinosaurs I'd seen so far were a fluke and that if the rest of them were loose, they would stay on the other side of the huge park. But soon enough, the rumbling vibrations I felt through my feet told me we weren't so lucky. I turned around and looked behind our group just in time to see a six-ton Triceratops galloping down the roadway toward us. I couldn't see what it was running from, but it didn't really matter. The beast was moving fast. Even as I watched, it trampled a young man who tripped, trying to get out of its way. Move! Go in there! I yelled, pointing into a nearby gift shop. My group shuffled into the shop as the Triceratops stomped past. It was running from something, I said to my group as I made my way through them, deeper into the store. Let's wait in here for a minute to see what- Don't come any closer, a man I'd never seen before said. He was standing behind a nearby teller counter, rummaging through the cash register with one hand. He had a knife in his other hand, pointing the tip of the blade at me. I put my hands up to show I wasn't a threat. We need to stay in here for a minute, I said. We won't interfere with you. I'm a park employee, sure, but some petty thievery is the least of my concerns. Petty, the man said, clearly scared and angry. You think I'm petty? No, that's not what- Fuck you, he shouted, 
You charge $200 just to get into this place, then you overcharge for everything. I'm taking some of my money back from you rich bastards. Fine, I said. That's fine. Just take it and go. I looked over to my left at the other side of the store. I thought I'd seen some movement from there. Another pair of open doors was over there, leading out onto a walkway parallel to the one we'd come in from. Maybe someone had ducked into the store from over there. If so, I couldn't see them now. The man momentarily returned his attention to the cash register, digging out for more money. I took the opportunity to signal my little group out of the store. I figured whatever had the Triceratops spooked would have already gone past by now, and this guy seemed a little unhinged. I saw him as the bigger immediate threat. They started moving back through the door, but this caught the man's attention. He snapped his head back and looked with wide, unfocused eyes at the group. What are you doing? He shouted. We're leaving, I said. You can stay here and do your thing, but we're leaving. You're going to get security, aren't you? He said, coming around the counter toward me. I backed away from the knife right into a rack of t-shirts. He pressed the tip of the knife into the little divot at the base of my neck. I think security's a little busy right now, I said. This seemed only to make him angrier, and I felt the tip of the knife pierce my skin. Then one of the children in our group, a little girl, screamed. Movement flashed on my left, and both the robber and I turned to look just as the Utah Raptor pounced. The lightly feathered raptor slammed into the robber with its claws on his chest and its open jaw on his head. I stumbled back, knocking the shirt rack down in my shock, just as the Utah Raptor used its powerful jaws to collapse the man's skull. The sound like a cracking walnut shell. My group ran out of the store and I followed, sure that where there was one Utah Raptor, there would be more. The one in the store looked to be a juvenile, only standing about six feet tall and probably weighing just under a thousand pounds. I reached up and felt my neck as we ran, but only found a little bit of blood. The knife hadn't cut me very badly. We ran hard toward the bunker entrance, picking up more people on the way. When we finally reached the entrance, there were two dozen of us. It was located amid the faculty buildings, and I figured many staff members were already inside. I swiped my employee keycard and entered the code. The metal door unlocked and swung open. I looked down the concrete steps and found them empty. Thinking it's safe, I held the door open, ushering everyone else inside to make sure there were no stragglers. When everyone was inside, I looked around and decided that I would recoup inside and then head back out to find more people. As soon as I stepped around the open door, screaming erupted from inside. I looked down the concrete steps, seeing three Utah Raptors tearing through many of the people I'd just saved. They used their teeth and claws to incapacitate them. Blood sprayed everywhere as I stood there, shocked. How had they gotten in? How long had they been down there? Was nowhere safe? A fourth Utah Raptor appeared and lunged over its companions toward the five uninjured people who were scrambling up the stairs. The Raptor was moving fast. The people would never make it. But if I left the door open, I would surely be killed and the Raptors would continue their killing spree. The people rushing up the stairs screamed at me as I swung the door shut. Their eyes didn't show anger, only shock and dismay at the betrayal. I shut the door just as the raptor was leaping toward them, claws and teeth ready to grind flesh. I put in my code and listened as the door locked. The screams inside were muffled, but that didn't make them any easier to hear. Feeling sick to my stomach, I turned away from the door and came face to face with the Utah raptor. It seemed to smile at me, showing its razor-sharp teeth 
just before its jaws opened to crush my head. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you sometimes feel like you need to get something off your chest? Everyone, including myself, carries around stress, and sometimes it builds up until it feels like you might burst. That's where BetterHelp comes in. Therapy is a safe space to talk through what's on your mind and figure out how to move forward. With BetterHelp, you can finally get things off your chest and start working through what's weighing you down. BetterHelp is entirely online, designed for convenience and flexibility to make it easy to fit your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire, get matched with a licensed therapist, and start your sessions. If your therapist isn't a perfect fit, you can easily switch at no additional charge. So why not give it a try? Therapy offers broad benefits, from reducing stress to gaining new insights. Take that step with BetterHelp and feel the relief. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com DNS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot D-N-S. Story 3. Earthquake. You stabbed me! The words sound strange to my ears. I sound like a child, accusing my brother of stealing a toy. You stabbed me! The familiar face, one I know almost as well as I know my own, looks back at me with no hint of remorse or regret. In a park full of vicious dinosaurs, and I'm dying because my own brother stabbed me, out of nowhere, for no fucking reason. He pulls the blade out of my stomach, and we both look down to watch the blood pour out of me. To my right, a woman screams. I wonder briefly whether it's because she's just seen me get stabbed or because the ancient predators have finally gotten inside. Either way, I can't seem to bring myself to care. It's getting dark, what should we do? My brother Felix asks. I don't know, I say. We should keep moving though, find shelter somewhere. There's no telling what the earthquake did to this place of security functions. Hopefully, they had some fail safes in place, but that felt like one hell of an earthquake. It's just our luck that when we finally save up enough money to come to the park, there's a fucking earthquake. We'd spared no expense when it came to enjoying the park. We booked all the most unique and expensive features they offered. We didn't just want to spend time with the crowds. We wanted a truly intimate experience at the park, which was why we were in a Jeep with just one other person, the driver, when the earthquake struck. We were roaming around where lots of the herbivores were, seeing them without fences in the way. We'd had to sign like a hundred waivers to do it, but it was absolutely worth it. We just finished watching a couple of Argentinosauruses feeding at some trees, and we're heading off to find more dinosaurs when the ground began to shake. This spooked several nearby stegosauruses, causing them to run in front of our Jeep. The driver swerved to miss them. He was just getting the vehicle under control and back on the road when a tree collapsed because of the earthquake. He slammed the brakes, but we still hit the tree hard. Luckily, Felix and I had been wearing our seatbelts. For some reason, the driver hadn't. He hit his head on the windshield he was alive but unconscious by the time the earthquake ended. We were unable to wake him up and we didn't want to risk moving him. We tried his phone, but it was locked and we couldn't wake him up to get the pin number. Both Felix and I tried calling the main park phone numbers, but we could never get through to anyone. Since the Jeep was undrivable, 
we decided to walk to find help for the man. The only map in the Jeep was one of those illustrated cartoon maps, one in which there's no scale key. Plus, the map focuses more on the main tourist areas of the park. Where we were wasn't drawn in much detail at all. So the only thing we could think to do was head back the way we'd come, even though it was a good 10 miles back to the main park. Now the sun is going down. We've seen no one come along the road in the two hours we've been walking. It's a bad sign. It can't be much further, I say. Let's just hope we're headed towards safety rather than away from it. Yeah, Felix says softly. Hey, it's gonna be all right, okay? I say. Felix looks at me in the fading twilight and puts on a brave face. I know. At 22, he's four years younger than me and he's always been prone to anxiety and nervousness. I can tell that this whole ordeal is wearing on him. He already has a haggard look as if his inner anxiety is showing through. I nodded him and pull out my phone, turning the flashlight feature on as we continue up the road. Pretty soon, it's fully dark and the only light comes from our phones. I look around for the moon, but I don't recall what kind of moon it is. For all I know, it could be a new moon, which would just add to our luck. We come to a crossroads with another dirt road, stopping to gaze left and right. Did we turn on this road? I ask Felix. Do you remember? He's silent for a moment, thinking. I don't remember, he says. I don't think so. I'm pretty sure we crossed over it. I think you. A scuffling sound on the road to our left freezes me in mid-sentence. Did you hear that? I whisper, shining my light down the road and seeing nothing. Yes. Stop shining your lights over here. A voice booms out from somewhere in the jungle. Who are you? I shout out. A man and a woman step out from the foliage bordering the dirt road, their hands up to keep my light from blinding them. Well, we're not dinosaurs, so there's that, the man says. He's carrying a sleek pump shotgun, and he's dressed in a khaki getup similar to our driver's. I breathe a sigh of relief. He's a park employee, and he's armed. He's got a weather-beaten look that I associate with cowboy types. He looks like he knows what he's doing. The woman is a middle-aged blonde, wearing jeans and a light plaid shirt over a tank top. She must be a park guest, just like us. I shine my flashlight at the ground as they approach. My name's Derek, and this is Felix, I say. The man says his name is Corey. The woman introduces herself as Madison. Can you help us with our driver? Felix asks. He was injured when we crashed. We didn't want to move him until we found help. Where is he? Corey asks. I point back down the road, probably five miles or so that way. Before I even finish the sentence, Corey is shaking his head. He's probably dead by now. What? Why did you say that? Felix asks. Because the earthquake let a ton of dinosaurs out. Madison interrupts, her voice a mixture of fear and anger. Like the bad ones? Felix asks. Yes, Corey says, the bad ones. It's a miracle we're all still alive. So we need to keep moving. There's a faculty building up this road a couple of miles. We need to get there and hunker down until help comes. How bad is it? I ask. How many do you think are already dead? Impossible to say. Corey answers, shaking his head. We weren't near the worst of it. 
but I was on the phone with the control room just after it happened. And before I lost contact with them, well, let's just say what they told me doesn't inspire confidence. So let's go and turn that light out. You'll only attract predators to us. Corey and Madison take the lead while Felix and I follow. I turn my flashlight off, but keep my phone in my hand just in case. We walk in silence, listening to the sounds of the surrounding jungle and our footfalls on the packed dirt road. The moon rises as we walk, providing enough light to see by, despite the unbroken cloud cover sliding above us in the sky. The smell of foliage and damp earth is pungent, but there's another smell too, an animal smell. Suddenly, Corey stops and levels his shotgun at the jungle to our right. What is it? Felix asks. Shh, Corey says. We all stare into the lush greenery bordering the road. Corey lowers his gun and gestures for us to move on. Thought I heard something, he says. Not even five minutes pass when I hear something big rustling in the jungle to the right again. Corey stops and points his gun again. Shine a light over there, he says. I shine mine at the spot in the jungle, seeing a pair of eyes reflecting yellow light back at me just before they vanish, leaving behind only a swaying leaf. We need to move, Corey says. Fast! Why? Madison asks. What was that? It didn't look very big. The eyes were so low to the ground. Lady, size isn't the only thing you need to worry about, Corey says. We're being stalked, and that ain't good, no matter what kind of dinosaur it is. What kind is it? Felix says his voice shaking. I don't know, Corey says. I can't tell just from the eyes. Let's just move, double time. He turns and starts jogging up the road, and we all do the same. As we run, I can hear more rustling in the trees to our right, as though whatever dinosaur is in there is running along, keeping up with us. I know the others hear it too because it's pretty loud, even over the sound of our shoes scraping dirt and our hissing breath. I glance to my left at Felix and can tell by the look on his face that he's not doing well with this. I want to say something that will make him feel better, but anything I could tell him would be a lie or very wishful thinking. I expect whatever is in the jungle to lurch out at us any moment, but it doesn't. And pretty soon, I see the jungle on both sides of the road ends. There's a field of short grass up ahead, which leads up to a small hill. On the top of that hill, sits a two-story concrete bunker about the size of an upper-middle-class home. It's maybe a quarter mile past the end of the jungle. I reach out and hit Felix on the shoulder. He's staring past me at the jungle, but I direct his attention toward the bunker. He sees it and smiles weakly. (laughs) We're almost there, I say. The end of the jungle isn't far now, maybe 30 yards. But I suddenly realize that there's no more rustling coming from the jungle. Maybe whatever it is has given up. Corey comes to a fast stop and levels his shotgun straight ahead. We all stop behind him, but I can't see what he's pointing at. I step around him to see a cluster of six dinosaurs in a wedge formation on the road. They stand on two long legs, and they have longish arms with three savage claws at the end of them. They have slender snouts and mainly front-facing eyes. Standing about the height of a large dog, they look at us with unmistakable intelligence. I don't know what kind of dinosaurs they are, but they look like smaller, more agile raptors with longer arms and legs. The animal smell is now sharp, and I realize it's coming from them. It smells almost like a large snake's terrarium, 
but more acrid. The lead one makes a strange clicking, snorting sound, opening its mouth to reveal rows of small, sharp teeth. The others spread out on the road and move toward us. Corey fires the shotgun, hitting the leader in the face, killing it. The other five attack, moving fast on their long legs. Two of them converge on Corey and another two on Madison. The fifth one jumps at Felix, but I shove him out of the way and it goes flying past. Corey is now on the ground and one of the dinosaurs has him by his left foot and it's trying to drag him toward the jungle. The other one lunges at Corey from the side and he hits it in the head with the butt of the shotgun. Then he reloads by pulling the forestock back and forth. He aims the gun at the dinosaur biting his foot and then fires, blowing the dinosaur's head apart, but destroying his own foot in the process. Madison screams as the two dinosaurs tear at her flesh, dragging her toward the jungle. I tell Felix to run because it's the only thing I can think to do. He does, scrambling toward the bunker at the top of the hill. The dinosaur that had missed Felix recovers and sets its sights on me. It lunges at me, but I duck out of the way at the last second. Still, I'm not fast enough. Its foreclaws drag across my upper chest and shoulder, ripping three gashes in my shirt and the skin below. I turn and scramble toward Corey, whose face is now being torn off by the dinosaur he hit with the butt of the shotgun. I see the weapon lying on the road nearby and duck to scoop it up. Corey makes a terrible screaming, gurgling sound and thrashes about while the predator drags its sharp teeth across his face again and again, gnawing at him. I look over to see Madison's head and arms disappear into the jungle. She's no longer screaming, and I see that her throat has been torn out. I pump the shotgun, loading a new shell, then look around for the one that just attacked me. It's not here. Felix screams and I whip my head that way, seeing him face down in the road, the dinosaur on his back biting him. Leaving Corey to his fate, I run up the road as fast as I can, then blast the dinosaur in the side, sending it flying off my brother. Felix has been bitten several times, twice on his upper back and once on his upper right arm. Get up, I say, reaching down to help him. Can you move? He gets up, breathing heavily, tears streaming down his face. I put his left arm around my shoulders and we both run as fast as we can up to the bunker. The door opens just as we reach it. A woman in her 20s wearing a park uniform ushers us inside. I heard the shots, she says. I'm sorry I didn't come to help. I don't have a gun. Do you have a first aid kit? I ask, standing just inside the doorway while the woman closes and locks the big metal door. Yes she says, come with me. We move into the bunker, which is all concrete walls and floors. There are supply cabinets and power junctions and shelves filled with random odds and ends. Here, the woman says, gesturing at a cot set up in the corner beside some metal shelves. I put Felix face first on the cot so we can dress his wounds. Oh, it hurts, Derek, my brother says, now crying. It hurts. We're going to get you taken care of, okay? We'll get you something for the pain. I set the shotgun on a nearby shelf so I can use both my hands. The woman disappears and then comes back with a first aid kit. She hands me a knife and tells me to cut Felix's shirt off. I do, carefully cutting it up the back and then spreading it out so we can see the wounds. I set the knife down on the floor next to the cot to get it out of the way. The wounds are somewhere between minor and serious. The teeth marks are plain to see, even through the blood. The woman disinfects the wounds while I wipe away the blood. Then she bandages them up as best she can 
and then gives him some Tylenol. Soon enough, Felix is passed out and I'm feeling exhausted. I carry the shotgun with me to a back room where there's a card table set up with several chairs. We use this place for breaks sometimes, the woman, whose name is Ivy, tells me. We both sit at the table and discuss the day's events while she cleans my minor wounds. She says she hasn't been in contact with anyone since the earthquake, so the thing to do is stay here and wait for help to come to the island. She asks what happened with all the gunshots earlier, but I can't bring myself to relive that chaos just yet. So I say I'll tell her everything after I get some sleep. I head back to Felix and sit against the wall next to his cot, shotgun cradled in my lap. I lean my head back against the wall and let sleep take me. My dreams are filled with dinosaurs of all kinds, banging at the door to the bunker, trying to get in to finish the job. My brother is awake in the dream and he keeps telling the dinosaurs to get away from him. He says it over and over again, softly at first, but then rising in pitch and fervor. A terrible pain yanks me from sleep and into reality. I open my eyes to see Felix leaning over me. Get away from me, he says, tears streaming out of his eyes. I look down to see that he stabbed me in the stomach with the knife I used to cut his shirt. You stabbed me, I say. Then I say it again, as if testing the words for validity. I look into my brother's eyes and see no remorse, no regret. In fact, I see no recognition either. The person looking back at me doesn't seem to be my brother. Felix pulls the blade out of me and we both watch the blood pour out of the wound. Ivy screams nearby. And I wonder if the dinosaurs from my dream have gotten into the bunker. My thoughts are still all jumbled up and the sense of unreality is persistent. Why? I ask Felix. He stands up and looks around as if recognizing where he is for the first time. He looks at the bloody knife in his hand and at the expanding circle of blood soaking my shirt and pants. His eyes go wide. Ivy steps up behind him and hits him in the head with a small spade. Felix stumbles and drops the knife, but he doesn't go down. No, Ivy! I say, although I don't know why. I just know that my brother would never knowingly try to kill me. Felix sits down hard on the cot and puts both hands to his head. Then he falls over, passing out. What kind of dinosaur bit him? Ivy asks, eyes wide and spade still held up as if she'll need to use it again. What? I say, I don't know. Damn it, she says, and then runs to get the first aid kit again. She does what she can with my stab wound, which isn't much. And while she works, I tell her about the dinosaurs that attacked us. It helps keep my mind off the pain. When I'm all done, she nods gravely. Trudons, she says. I wish you'd told me this before you went to sleep. I could have kept you from getting stabbed. What? How? Trudons are poisonous. Their bite will cause you to hallucinate and act aggressively toward other people. Then, you'll eventually become paralyzed and die. They're also incredibly smart but I'm guessing you already knew that, given the way they attacked you. Wait, there's no cure? My brother is definitely going to die? Is that what you're saying? Ivy nods. I look over her shoulder at Felix, who's still unconscious on the cot. What about me? I ask her. I don't know, I'm not a doctor. I think we need to get you help because you're probably bleeding internally. I certainly don't feel good. I think getting stabbed is supposed to hurt. 
Ivy smiles, smiling wryly. If it made you feel good, we'd all go around stabbing each other all the time. I chuckle, then wince. Don't do that. Laughing hurts like a son of a bitch. I'm so... She pauses, cocking her head. Do you hear that? I listen for a moment. Yeah, sounds like a helicopter. Ivy stands up and runs toward the front door. I call after her, but she doesn't hear me. Or maybe she does and is too focused on getting outside to flag down the chopper. I wanted to tell her to take the shotgun. I hear the sound of the big metal door opening and then I hear Ivy scream. She stops screaming in tandem with the sound of a body hitting the floor. I grab up the shotgun and make sure the safety is off. A familiar clicking, snorting sound echoes off the concrete walls. Then there's the sound of crunching and tearing flesh. I try to stand up, but the pain in my stomach is too great. Felix, wake up. I whisper, Felix, wake the hell up. He makes no movement. A trudon emerges from around the shelf and I pull the trigger, blowing its head off. I reload the shotgun and aim it, waiting for another one to appear. Come on, you bastards! I shout. Another Trudon appears ahead of me. I pull the trigger. Nothing happens but a small click. Taking my eyes off the dinosaur, I look down at the gun to reload it. I'm out of shells. Son of a bitch! I look up to find the Trudon mere feet away from me, looking at me with its reptile grin. I throw the shotgun at it and reach over to grab the knife from where Felix had dropped it. There are now three of them, inching forward. The one I hit when I threw the shotgun quickly recovered and is looking at me again. Come on, you bastards! I yell again, slicing the knife through the air. The three of them look at each other, communicating somehow. Then they look back at me, and they all pounce at once. I jam the knife up under the lead one's jaw, then use its body as a kind of shield to keep the other ones from getting close enough to bite me. The lead one spasms, its claws raking my face and tearing my skin open as I hold it at arm's length. Gunshots sound in the bunker, and the rear two Trudons shriek as their blood splatters Felix where he still lay on the cot. I throw the Trudon I'd speared off of me and look up to see a couple of commando-type guys in full gear looking down at me. Let's go, one of them says, reaching his hand down to help me up. Is there someone else here? You saw the woman on the way in? I ask. He nods. She's gone. My brother, I say. He's been bitten. One guy steps over Trudon corpses to lean down and touch Felix's neck, feeling for a pulse. After a few long moments, he shakes his head. Just you, let's go. I make my way out of the bunker, clutching my stomach and blinking the blood out of my eye from the cuts on my head. We get in a helicopter with some other commando guys and some bloodied survivors. The helicopter takes off and we fly out toward the sea, then skirt the main park as we make our way around the island. I watch out the window as military jets scream over the massive park, dropping bombs and firing missiles at the dinosaurs there. The place is almost completely destroyed, with fires everywhere and explosions rocking the park. One of the commando guys sitting next to me leans forward and talks to his buddy. Bringing dinosaurs back from the dead? Who would have thought that would be such a bad idea? The two guys laugh. (laughs) Then they see me glaring at them and stop. I think about all the waivers Felix and I had to sign before going on the private jeep tour and wonder how many people have died. Thousands, probably. I'm lucky to get out alive.